The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop downloading the 40-year-old virgin and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 537 with guests Jesse McFadden and Philip Mai, recorded live Tuesday, April 6th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now, the man who knows how to drive a Winnebago, he just chooses not to, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's a regular show today, Richard. Wow, I can't even imagine. I'm back in Connecticut, you're back in Vancouver, and we're doing our thing. Wasn't it like time traveling? It didn't feel like we were really gone for a month. Well, it felt like more than a month while we were gone, but when while I got we were back. Gone, but when I get home, it's like the grass is a little greener, it's yeah. going to be home, but it's, yeah, like time stands still, it's weird. My, my mother was just a little bit more senile. Jeez. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Hi, Mom. My kids look like they grew five feet, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, that's what happens. It's well, anyway. Uh, thanks to everybody who, who helped us put it together. And we're right now trying to sort out all the, you know, process all the stuff. Everything. There's who tons gets... and tons of paperwork. It's amazing. And we have one more show to publish. That's right. Would have been published today, but uh, we had a little glitch. But we'll sh- publish the Atlanta show on Thursday. It was a great show. An yeah. amazing show, I thought. All right. Let's get right into Better Know Framework. <laughs> all right. Back. You're back, back in the driver's baby. seat. <laughs> what do you got, man? Well, you know, um, usually on Better Know Framework, I'm pointing out um, little pieces of the .NET Framework, but yeah. I thought it might be helpful to talk about breaking changes Oh, different well, technologies. For the .NET 4.0. Yeah. So it turns out that WCF RIA services broke uh, some of the namespaces and assembly names from the announcement of the beta at PDC-09 right. to the release candidate at Mix-10. So what's in there now? If you, and here's the thing: if you go online, like at uh, you know the Microsoft Silverlight, like Tim Hewer's demos from the beta and all right. that kind of stuff, you look in that code and you're following along, and everything's great until he says add a reference to blah blah blah, and that assembly's not there. Wow! Literally, they removed assemblies. Well, yeah, rename them. 
So if you go to shrinkster.com slash 1D as in David, R as in Roger, 0, 1DR0, that will bring you to uh, uh, msdnmicrosoft.com document. That's a doc file, a docx file mm-hmm. that you can download, and it tells you all about how to map you know one to another. So the features haven't been removed. They literally reorganized they the namespace. They reorganized the namespace between okay. the beta and the RC. And this happens a lot. You so know? this could be a search replacing. Well, it's just you sort of rethink things, right? That's the nature of a CTP. Yep, exactly. And, and now there's a release candidate as part of Studio 2010. Right. That's right. And and there you go. And, you know, if we come across more of these, we'll bring them to you on Better Know Framework. All right. Yeah, who's talking to us, Richard? I got an email from a fellow named Paul Johnson about, well, let me read it. Carl and Richard, when you named show number 541, Anders Heilsberg blows our minds. (laughs) You weren't kidding. I, too, am a musician, jazz trumpet, and I love listening to some of the great vintage players like Miles Davis displaying their mastery of their instruments. Well, that is pretty much what we have with Anders. He will certainly go down as one of the masters of the software world. Only the best part is that we can still enjoy his work now and expect more in the future, unlike poor Miles. I absolutely loved this show. Cool. We did, too. Yeah. Although I still get a chill down my spine every time I hear or read about C-sharp now getting dynamic types. I understand the philosophy behind it and some of the new avenues that you can take with it, including interfacing with dynamic APIs and improving access to COM components. However, it always conjures up nightmares I had back in the vintage VB days when I would be up to all hours in the morning trying to debug code another developer put into our application when they decided to make almost everything object types and didn't use option explicit. Right. I've always preached strong typing to my teams, and I will continue to do so even with these new features. I'm sure my objections to it would be smoothed over a bit if I really had an application where I needed it, and I found it to be the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, Yeah, I got a little comment on that. I mean, you know, in the days of Visual Basic, when we had that object and then we had variant, you know, it's a little bit different because those truly did not have types associated with them, whereas the dynamic features, the types are there, you just don't specifically have to uh, know declare. about them or declare them. Yeah, yeah, they're inferred. And if you try to stuff a, an integer into a string or a string into an integer, you're going to get an error. Yeah, well, and that's the, what was evil about the variant was that it would just change types to, to make it work. Exactly. And so that you don't never, have it would, The compiler would never know the difference. Right. You know, the other side of this, I also was thinking reading the email was, We've got a huge improvement in our testing tools, too. I mean, the way right. you write code now is much more tolerant to finding those kinds of things. Yep. Anyway, let me finish him off. Okay. Anyway, keep up the good work. I would love to jam with you sometime, Carl. Hopefully, I can get to a tech ed or a PDC. We can hit some blues at a jam session. Sounds good. Take care. Paul Johnson from DeSoto, Kansas. And Paul, a mug is on its way to you for your great email. Thanks so much for sending it. And you can get a mug too. Send us an email, .net rocks at franklins.net. Our guests today are Jesse McFadden and Phil Mai. Jesse is a senior software engineer at Natobi, specializing in presentation layer programming for rich internet applications. Jesse has developed large-scale applications in Silverlight, Flash, Flex, Air, .net, and JavaScript. As an active and contributing member of the PhoneGap Open Source Project, Jesse is passionate about bringing device-level functionality across multiple mobile devices 
through simple web tech APIs. Jesse enjoys sharing his in-depth knowledge by leading PhoneGap and Flash Flex training sessions, as well as speaking at developer conferences and meetups. He has also developed Utupler, a simple, easy-to-use Air application for uploading videos to YouTube. You can download it at utupler.com. That's Y-U-T-U-P-L-R.com. Jesse is also a kick-ass guitar player and spends his free time playing blistering solos over hard rock grooves. Check out shrinkster.com slash 1DB1 for a small sampling of his work. You can read Jesse's blog at blogs.nitobi.com slash jesse or shrinkster.com slash 1DB2. Phil Mai works on .NET-based and PhoneGap-based projects at Nitobi and wrote the original PhoneGap BlackBerry implementation. Recently, has developed prototypes of the PhoneGap framework for Windows Mobile 6.5 and the sneak peek Windows Phone 7 SDK. Phil's a fan of the Android platform and likes to hack on Android PhoneGap projects for fun. He has a BSc in computing science with a strong interest in artificial intelligence, neural networks, and human cognition. In his spare time, Phil enjoys being outdoors, playing sports and games, playing his drums, watching hockey, and eating food. Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. I guess .NET really does rock today. Apparently, it does. We got everybody's a musician except me. I'm just an an, an appreciator, resident genius. So, <laughs> so that's a lot of technologies to cover. Um, very broad. .NET, Flash, Flex, Air. Why don't we start with PhoneGap? Because I think that's the one that that blows my mind. Yeah, sure. PhoneGap. So, guys, what's PhoneGap all about? Well, I think PhoneGap at its core, it just aims at delivering a single, simple, consistent API for uh, web developers um, and being able to create and deploy applications to a whole variety of different mobile platforms using that same API. So we're basically just trying to make uh, web developers' lives easier. Is this Jesse or Phil? That's Phil. Okay. So you're making web developers' lives easier or phone developers' lives easier? I think a little bit of both. But, um, I mean, PhoneGap leverages web-based technologies and uh, leverages each mobile platform's browser to deliver an application uh, with these technologies. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of both. We're trying to kind of blur the lines between all these different titles and just have one big happy family. So we're talking one page that would work on both a regular PC-based browser and also on these different phone platforms successfully? Kind of, yeah. I mean, specifically as well, um, we we bridge into uh, device functionality that exists on these various mobile platforms um, and then create an API in JavaScript to allow web developers to access this functionality. Um, so conceivably, you know, on a desktop browser, you might not have some of the functionality that you do have on a mobile device. Um, for example, something like contacts uh, or your accelerometer data f- uh, of your phone. Um, so this kind of information, you know, is only accessible to phone gap specific apps. Um, but uh, as we see, for example, the W3C group um, putting together specs that um, align the device APIs w- with, uh, you know, HTML and JavaScript APIs, um, we're, we're, we're starting to, to lose these, uh, these hard boundaries between, um, you know, a, a desktop-based web page or a mobile-based web page or a mobile app. They're all kind of becoming one thing. 
I think it, it might be worthwhile to to jump back to the beginning of PhoneGap Phone and sort of explain how it started. Okay. Because sure. I, I think the evolution is 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 the best explanation. Uh, in the beginning, the game changer was the iPhone. And right. I mean, the iPhone was really exciting to, to all of us. Uh, the developers at Natobi were primarily focused on uh, web tech, so lots of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And it would have been a considerable investment to to get everyone to go out and learn Objective-C to program for the iPhone. So instead of doing that, we we tasked a couple people to work on it. And what they came up with was what actually turned into the foundation of PhoneGap, which is just an API uh, that's callable from JavaScript to access native functionality. And from there, it just grew until we were consuming different APIs, you know, accelerometer, uh, geolocation. Now, aren't you right off the bat breaching the sandbox? If we're running JavaScript, we're inside of the the mobile device's browser, and isn't it isolated from the hardware? No, no, it isn't. Uh, I mean, each each platform has a little bit different of an implementation about the communication between the native code and the JavaScript. Right. But primarily because of the fact that you're loaded from the file URL protocol. Oh, okay. You can access the network and you can you can call back to native code. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty fundamental thing I didn't know about that it sort of changes the rules right off the bat. I mean, this was mm-hmm. the route we thought the iPhone would take at the beginning until Jobs changed his mind and opened up the whole Objective-C development model. We were going to do everything in Safari. Are all phones that way, though? Can you always access native uh, APIs from JavaScript? There's there's some uh, slight variations. Like, the way that the iPhone works is it actually has to change window.location. Okay. And then the native code is watching the UI web view for location changes. And if it intercepts what we what we have defined as a gap command, it'll it'll process that command and it won't let the, the browser redirect to that URL. So that's that's the way it works on iPhone. Uh on Android it's a little bit easier because you can just call directly uh through like a, a window.external type call. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Android actually, this is Phil speaking, by the way, Android actually uh, implemented very easily uh, from a perspective of writing the framework itself because you actually bind uh, native objects to arbitrary JavaScript objects, and the methods are public and available um, to use, and, uh, you know, there's, there's examples on the Android documentation on how to do this. So this is actually, um, for at least certain of the platforms, encouraged to do something like this. So what platforms are we talking about here? You mentioned iPhone and Android. What else is supported? Well, there's uh, BlackBerry, which I, I did a whole bunch of work on as well. Um, right. So similar uh, in vain to the iPhone implementation with BlackBerry, we had to jump through a few hoops and uh, um, sort of massage the platform to allow us to display these web pages that act as mobile apps. Um, so the BlackBerry implementation is the biggest by far of all the platforms PhoneGap supports. Um, but we're hoping that, uh, you know, as we're moving forward and as new versions of the operating systems get released, that this becomes easier and easier, and uh, the manufacturers sort of take the uh, onus of 
exposing this native functionality uh, to the browser from us. So, you know, one, one of the classical sort of uh, philosophical views of, of the PhoneGap team is that uh, our goal is, is for PhoneGap to cease to exist. Um, you know, we, we don't want to maintain this framework forever and, and, and update it and, and keep it consistent and do all the work that we've done to, to put it together. We want, you know, this kind of uh, functionality to exist just out of the box on these phones. You know, we want to access the browser and we want to be able to grab your GPS location, grab your contacts and that stuff. And the big thing here is one common code base across multiple phones. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was the huge um, uh, business motivation to really jump in and, and start using this, uh, this phone gap framework for our own projects. Um, you know, just like Jesse started off talking about how uh, what a what an investment it would be to to train everyone on Objective C. Well, you can take that argument and apply it to pretty much any mobile platform since they're all right. slightly different. Um, you know, Android has its uh, a Java-based native language, BlackBerry as well, but they have a completely separate set of uh, their own APIs. Um, and you know, no one really wants to play around in all that. Um, so our idea was, or Nitobi's idea was. You know, why don't we just leverage a delivery mechanism that exists pretty much on any device nowadays, be it your phone, be it your laptop, be it even your in-car in dash, um, being the browser, and uh, leverage that as a way of displaying and delivering experiences to the user. Now, you are limited, right? I mean, you don't have all the cool graphics that the iPhone offers and all of that. Do you have access to to every kind of device? I mean, you said the accelerometer, but... You know, certainly you couldn't make a game or something like that, could you? You, We do actually see a lot of games for iPhone built in PhoneGap. They're they're primarily, you know, uh, bubble-popping type games where there's not a lot of motion, but there still is, you know, you can do some some nice CSS uh, animation, Hmm. uh, tweening, and you can do animation through JavaScript. So it's not really good for like a, a side scroller or a 3D game, right? But but simple puzzle games, it's fine. Hmm. Additionally, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, but aren't CSS transitions hardware accelerated on the iPhone as well? Yeah, they are. So so you know these kind of little features like that, and of course right now it only exists on the iPhone, but um, you know there's. There's uh, hints here and there dropping that uh, perhaps a similar approach will be employed on Android. Um, you know, why not take advantage of the hardware that's available on the device to uh, do CSS transitions or CSS animations or all that stuff? So, like I said, we're hoping as we move forward and as uh, PhoneGap gains more exposure um, that uh, we'll start seeing more and more uh, the browser being a, a first-class citizen on these devices. Because, I mean, essentially that's what we're hoping for is that uh, these web-based technologies and browsers take over for apps. Well, and yeah, you guys are bucking the trend here because it seems to me like the browser on the phone has been left behind in exchange for apps directly on the phone, a la App Store and the iPhone. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and one interesting conversation is people ask, uh, well, why don't I just build a, a website that will run in mobile Safari? And the reason for that is that you can't you can't access the same functionality. So that's that's a big plus for PhoneGap is you can take essentially that presentation code, put it into an app, and 
very quickly publish that into something that you can sell in the app store. Right. Also, there's a very clear market. So if if you're trying to actually, you know, sell something, it it would be very difficult for you to make a, a mobile Safari uh, browser website and get people to, you know, input their credit card information or something, uh, some method of payment, you know, whereas if you, if you put it in the Apple uh, store, that's all done for you right? At, at a, at a premium, but still there's a lot of work that you don't have to do if you go that way. Yeah. Of course the app store is sort of overwhelmed now too. So I think it's pretty tough to get it, put an app into the app store and get much success from it now. It's hard to say. I mean, the the iPad might be a, a new gold rush. Yeah. And uh, although I noticed, I noticed the prices went up. Yeah, I was surprised by the prices as well. I think yeah. everyone is trying to uh, to ride the first wave. Yeah. And in in a month or two, we'll see the prices uh, fall back to where the iPhone apps are. Or maybe we won't. Maybe this is the new tier. Who knows? It's kind of interesting. So the, the elephant in the room here, guys, is Microsoft's new phone, the WinPhone 7. Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited by it. I was down at uh, the, Mix, the Mix 10 conference in Vegas mm-hmm. a couple weeks back. Um, got my hands on it for a few precious seconds, was able to play with it. It looks pretty nice. Um, but they quickly snatched it away from my hands. So Yeah, Mix, uh, they, the phone kind of stole the show at Mix, didn't it? The rooms were all overflowing. Yeah, yeah, it was good though. We learned a lot there. Um, the, I'm, I'm actually quite impressed with the quality level of the uh, SDK that Microsoft released to to this point for WinPhone Seven. You know, given how early it is in the game and how far away we are from actually seeing the phone. Um, but uh, when we were down, or when I was down there, uh, I had a chance to uh, put together a, a real quick proof of concept. Um, phone gap framework for the phone so we can actually we, we actually have a, a basic framework that will show web pages as uh, as a win phone app so we're pretty excited about that because the development story you've been told with this phone so far has been silverlight 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 mm-hmm. so you're saying um, no use the browser well i mean the browser the second elephant in the room i'll say is that the browser on um yeah w- the win phone uh worries i think a lot of web developers as well because uh to date for the mobile space it's been um a fairly consistent uh browser landscape i'll right. say that um you know with uh mobile safari being a webkit based browser uh existing on the iphone uh a w- another webkit based browser being the main browser on the android um and now even uh rim of blackberry fame um announcing this past summer that they bought torch mobile the uh, WebKit browser vendor, um, and that they'll be releasing a WebKit-based browser for their platform as well in the coming months. Um, for web developers, I mean, that's kind of comfortable because you have a single browser and a single set of little browser details and nuances to deal with. Right. Um, with WinPhone coming in and, uh, you know, probably some version of IE being introduced as the main browser on that device, uh, we kind of go back to the... Uh, old school browser wars from a few years back and just bringing that war back into the mobile space. So, you know, the classic web dev skills of abstracting the browser differences might uh, have to be resurfaced for mobile developers as well. If, um, if I may just interrupt here real quick, 
there's a, if you go to phonegap.com and you guys can comment on this if you want there's a chart of supported features f- per uh platform and let me just read these off so uh geo uh, I'm sorry the iPhone supports geolocation fi- vibration the accelerometer sound and contact support the Android supports everything as of this recording on April 6th uh, supports everything except contact support. That's geolocation, vibration, accelerometer, and sound. And the BlackBerry supports everything but the accelerometer. And those are pending. They're, the status is pending. That's right. Are those the only five features that are supported right now? These are actually... Uh, the, we haven't updated our website in a while. Um, if you want the most up-to-date, we have a, a roadmap page on our wiki. So the wiki URL for everyone, it's uh, wiki.phonegap.com. And uh, the roadmap page exists at wiki.phonegap.com slash roadmap. Um, and th- there's a more complete and more uh, up-to-date version right there. So I'd uh, recommend checking that out if you want you know, a more in-depth and a more complete look at that. Um, but essentially what you read off is true, yes. So accelerometer support is still pending for BlackBerry. Um, however, I think the latest version of Android does support contacts, so um, that's cleared up at least. So, wow, let's. So, there's a lot more here: iPhone, Android, BlackBerry OS 4.5, uh, Symbian, Windows Mobile, Palm, and the Memo. I've never heard of the Memo, but the yeah, only, it's a Nokia, a Nokia platform Memo. The only thing supported on that is the accelerometer currently. Um, yeah. Uh, for the Palm, you've got geolocation, accelerometer. Uh, vibration, SMS, telephone, uh, SMS API, telephone API, playing sounds, maps, orientation change, network availability, and you can read only on the file system. You're working on that, and you're working on the camera, too. Yep. It looks like um, Android and BlackBerry have the most complete support. I think that's what you said before. The BlackBerry was really your starship um, I'd say I'd say iPhone and Android are probably our our rock star platforms right now in terms of phone gap. Yeah. So we also have with iPhone gesture and multi touch support, SQL light functionality, mm-hmm. and that's just a, a a small database. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, playing sounds, maps, orientation change, network availability, and magnetometer. What's a magnetometer? That's a compass. Ah, all right. <laughs> it's a fancy word for compass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's storage available on Symbian, and you're working on storage for the BlackBerry. That's different from the the SQLite? Yeah, there's there's also, I mean, uh, there's some overlap between the file I.O. and storage and uh, the SQLite mm-hmm. functionality, because you can choose to, you know, store a config file, or you can choose to store a file that you've retrieved from a server, or you can choose to stick it in your uh, SQL database. And it looks like also on the Android you can record sound. That's right, yeah. And you're working on that for BlackBerry and iPhone, too. That's very cool. These are all phone-specific features, so it's the idea that I build one code base, it runs on all these different phones, and you basically have to deal with what features you have and what you don't have. It sounds like a real, really quite sophisticated application. Yeah, here. I was going to say, it's a lot. There, there is some customization that you have to do for each because there are things like screen resolution differences and 
and slight differences in uh, the functionality that's available on the device itself. But we've we've done our best to sort of abstract that away so that you can have at least your application code be consistent and and then you just, you know, hopefully modify things with CSS to to reach the different screen dimensions. Uh things like the the contacts API, we had to decide on a a bare minimum because mm-hmm. every single device has its own uh set of properties that they store in a contact. So we had to abstract a lot of that uh complexity away. Yeah, and to add to that too, um our generally our approach is to look at sort of um what is the um minimum level of compatibility that's shared across all the platforms that we're at least targeting to support. Uh and then we kind of build our the the phone gap the JavaScript API around that um so that at least there's some kind of consistent baseline functionality across all of our uh platforms. And um Following the W3C device API working group really helps us with that because they're doing a lot of pioneering work with, you know, at least um, exploring different interface options and, and how to all organize all this. Um, Brian LaRue, one of uh, the senior architects here in Adobe, he actually works a lot with the uh, W3C device API working group, so we get a little bit of insider knowledge on that as well. Yeah, but the yeah the, these aren't ratified specs or anything. Like, I don't know that... That the no uh, no not at all you're right you're absolutely right it's still all in draft and it changes frequently yeah um, but regardless just because this is kind of at the forefront um, you know it's, it's good to be on top of all this and see what direction at least uh, uh, everyone else is going in right the big pressure will be when the vendor is going to start implementing on that mm. that's that's our hope yeah yeah that, that's a that's a huge deal but this I'm just sort of I'm, my mind's kind of blown today. That's just like, wow, a <laughs> totally different approach to doing cross-phone app development. Yeah. I'll actually bring it back a little bit to uh, uh, the wind phone stuff. It was interesting. I talked about how there's um, tutorials out in the Android developer docs showing you how you can leverage a browser to you know, present something, to show a web page or an image or whatever. Well. Right. The Microsoft guys down at Mix did pretty much exactly the same thing uh, at one of the sessions with the WinPhone, but not only were they showing how to leverage the browser for presentation, but they were showing how you can actually do script interop um, between, uh, you know, your your native app and the browser. Huh. So they're basically they're basically demoing, uh, showing me how I'm supposed to implement PhoneGap because that's all PhoneGap really is. So right. it seems a lot of a lot of people and a lot of the big players in the game right now are are getting the idea that this you know this is an option and that a lot of people are interested in this. So um, my hope is that it'll just gain more momentum and, and keep rolling. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the new TFS Work Item Manager and TFS Project Dashboard. So if you're spending a lot of time on organizing the cluttered pile of work items in TFS. Get ready for a fresh and intuitive experience. The guys at Telerik just launched the TFS Work Item Manager and Project Dashboard, a couple of free tools designed to make working with Team Foundation Server faster and easier. Unlike the standard TFS Explorer, the Work Item Manager lets you take advantage of powerful capabilities like filtering, as-you-type search, grouping and aggregation, and iteration scheduling. You can even see all the work items in a Scrum Dashboard view, as if watching the whiteboard in your own room. Project Dashboard is a unique tool for visualizing TFS data. 
Useful for both developers and project managers, it helps you keep track of the latest TFS project activity like current iteration progress, build history, recent check-ins, assigned tasks, and bug history, and to understand the health of the project as a whole. The TFS tools are brought to you by Telerik and Imaginet, the experts in application lifecycle management. Built with RAD controls for WPF, they're both amazingly flexible and responsive. Go to Telerik.com and download the TFS tools for free. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Yeah, it's an interesting balancing act here, too. I can also see this makes a lot of sense if you have a, a web interface on a PC as well, so that you have this sort of common environment across all these things. At least the back-end services would be all the same. But you know, it's, this has got to be very challenging to, to, to challenge the look and feel and functionality of, an, of a native iPhone app. Yeah, I think a lot of our uh, iPhone users from our community, um, they, we, we see that coming up a lot. They express that concern a lot. I don't know, maybe, Jesse, you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, there there are some uh, JavaScript libraries uh, out there that help with that. Right. There's uh, JQ Touch, which is a, a jQuery plugin, which gives you very native-looking transitions between uh, div elements. And it, it does it all with uh, with very iPhone-looking graphics. Right. And, I mean, a lot of people are using that. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, GQ Touch, there's, I think there's a demo on their website. It's quite impressive. Jonathan Stark did a really good job. And GQ Touch is at jqtouch.com. And if you look at just the, they have a simple animation that, you know, shows uh, an iPhone in the screen. And you can't tell me that doesn't look like a native iPhone app. Yeah, they've done a really good job with with that. Very good. And I guess there's a preview you can download? Yep. And uh, also, Jonathan Stark has written a book uh, explaining how to use uh, PhoneGap for, for mobile-based applications. And I think he's done a tutorial as well where where he shows a simple package of PhoneGap using JQ Touch to pre- present a, a very native looking application. Okay, great. Yeah, wow, that's very impressive. So it, yeah, I feel like I've had this this revelation here that there's other ways to build these apps that that we build these all, all on the phone and go cross platform from there. Um, guys, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the applications that you've built or or that are be using PhoneGap out there. Give some guys, give some the audience some examples. Yeah, uh, I think our one of the the big apps we developed a couple months back, um, right before the um, uh, the climate change conference in Copenhagen back in December of '09. Um, so in uh, the fall of that year, we started working with uh, Tick Tick Tick, which is a uh, an NGO um, that was trying to work, raise awareness about this uh, conference and uh, getting people on board. And so they were running this campaign to get as many people to sign up um, and to pledge their support to the movement. Um, so they came to us and we started talking about it, and we decided we'd go with uh, a phone gap-based application, um, not only because it would be quick to develop, and we were under time constraints, of course, um, um, especially for us, since you know we coming from definitely a web sort of background, uh, but we also figured it'd be a good method of getting the word out to as many people as possible is by leveraging this uh, uh, 
you know, advantage of PhoneGap to de- deploy to all these different platforms. So we started with um, an iPhone build um, and then got it working on, I believe it was Palm and Symbian phones or certain Symbian phones. Uh, and then finally we got it working as well on BlackBerry. So using uh, more or less the same set of core code um, that, uh, you know, describes this application, allows people to pledge, allows people to uh, send invites to uh, um, users in their contact list, among other functionalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, with just a little bit of massaging for each platform, we were able to quickly develop and deploy um, this one app across those four platforms that I just mentioned. So you can find it, if you do a search for tick, 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 which is spelled T-C-K, 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 um, you should be able to find it uh, in the App Store, um, in the App World for BlackBerry, as well as the OV Store for Nokia. Uh, I'm not sure where we have it deployed or what the store name is for Symbian, but it should be out there as well. Now, it's not ticktickTick.org? Yeah. Yeah, with, with no uh, no vowels. Right. No vowels. Vowels are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it's very cool. And so uh, how many users? Like, what happens at the interaction level with this app? How many users? You know what? I don't know. Um, but uh, the pledge count right now is, you know, on the order of a couple dozen million. Um, at the time when we started to... 15 million. At the, t- <laughs> at the time when we started to develop the application... Um, it was something around like three or four million. It, it gained a lot of speed right before the the uh, conference came around. Um, but you know what? We'd have to get back to you on that. I'm not sure exactly how many people pledged with our mobile client. Um, but, you know, it did gain a lot of marketing, and, and it was all over the news for those few days, especially after that terrible walkout that happened during the conference. So Right. But at the same time, there's this... The- you were using the same back end, whether they were using the regular web client or using the phone client. It was yeah, exactly and that's actually back-end. a huge advantage of um, phone gap based apps is that if you already have a web page, be it you know a desktop one that's aimed for desktop browsers, not even aimed for mobile browsers, is that you generally have a server side component to all these websites that either serve up data or you know provide some kind of context to the user. So all of that that you already have written can easily be leveraged and used in your PhoneGap app as well. So, you know, obviously this has great benefits for efficiency and, and reducing costs from a business point of view. Sure. I guess the question is, are people going to buy an app on the, I, on the iPhone app store that's not a native app, that's a, that's a browser-based app? If you, if you go to phonegap.com slash projects, you'll see a list of uh, applications that people have, uh, emailed us and told us that they had written their app with PhoneGap. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's open source and it's all MIT licensed. We don't we don't really have any any knowledge of of what apps are actually being uh, developed with PhoneGap because it's completely up to the developer if they want to tell us or not. And that's projects but, with a lowercase p, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> This is a, a a pretty big list, and I would assume that the the actual number of apps that have been built with PhoneGap that are in in say the uh, Apple iPhone uh, in the store would be in the neighborhood of a thousand, if not more. 
yeah, it's only those those uh, developers who you know let us know. Um, we we can really tell whether they're using PhoneGap or not. Surprisingly, though, most or I don't know if this is surprising, but most of these apps are iPhone only, um, and I think this is, this is part of the reason why, or is attributed to the difference in market share um, for all these devices, especially in North America. Right? Obviously, iPhone is um, the big the big head, the big cheese right now, right um, in North America. But hopefully we'll see Android or maybe, who knows, maybe even WinPhone bust in and, and take some of that away from iPhone and we'll start seeing more phone gap apps on different platforms. And it seems like pretty much every one of the links for these apps in uh, phonegap.com slash projects are links back to iTunes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it is the iPhone that seems to be the dominant player here. Yeah. Go figure. Some people just don't want to learn Objective-C. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. But Android does seem to be coming on pretty strong. Yeah, recently um like uh, uh certain advertising statistics uh have been exposed and that they're I mean they are showing us that Android is gaining momentum. Um you know, like mobile ad impressions and things like that. Um I think pretty much since the release of the Droid, the, the Motorola phone, um, it, it's gotten a lot of speed. And with Nexus One being released as well, it's only increased. So slowly but surely, I think we'll see it level out. And then we mix in the Microsoft phone. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really curious to see what will happen with that device. Boy, me too. I think from what I can tell, it seems almost like Microsoft is taking a little bit of a middle road. You know, they don't want to completely open it up. And, uh, and, you know, let manufacturers do what they want with it a la Android. But at the same time, they don't want to completely lock it down and let no one do anything with it a la Apple. Um, they're kind of taking the middle road. And I think it's pretty smart. I think, uh, as long as they can involve their developers a bit more, especially pre-launch, um, and, you know, just get the word out and get people interested in it, I think it could do some damage. But I also think that, that Android sort of damaged their market with Nexus One. That if I was a phone manufacturer and suddenly the OS manufacturer makes their own phone, you kind of just shot me in the foot. Yeah, yeah. That's not nice. Well, and, and at least with Apple, there is only one phone supplier and there's just no debate there. It's all jobs all the time. Microsoft isn't making their own phone. They are limiting the range. There's only so many phones they're going to make, I think. They're, but they're all diff- the different vendors get to compete more or less on level ground. Yeah, um, from what I heard at Mix, Microsoft does have some pretty uh, restrictive requirements on the specifications of the new phone that they're going to, re- going to release. Uh, and I'm not sure on their choice of manufacturers. Uh, I don't think they've even announced it yet. I may be mistaken about that. But we, we should see a little bit more standardization uh, you know, similar to iPhone for this new Microsoft platform, uh, as opposed to Android, where you know you've got how many uh, handset manufacturers on board, and each one making their own little brand and, and their own little version of the phone. It, it can get a little bit confusing, you know, knowing which one's an Android phone and which one isn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just last year, forty different Android phones were released by wow. handset manufacturers worldwide. So. Um, I don't know if, if you want to look at that more as like a viral penetration of the market or 
whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it'll be an interesting next couple of years for sure. Well, and I do think that Microsoft hurt themselves by letting anybody make a phone with Windows Phone on it. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true um, to some extent, I think. Uh, at the same time, you know, everyone's building a phone more or less. So, you know, you can expect that uh, your telephony, your your uh, contacts, that kind of stuff, the, the baseline phone functionality that we all expect on a device. So uh, Android delivers that, I think. Um, but at the same time, like you said, you know, once you start getting into manufacturer politics, um, you know, a la Google versus, uh, you know, Motorola, say, with the Nexus One release, um, it can get a little tricky. And so there's also this conception of, you know, a little bit of mistrust um, that I've heard going around, but I don't know. We'll see how it pans out. Hey, can I ask you a question about uh, Windows Phone 7? Have you, you You've looked at it, you said. Yeah. So are you just basically going to create a .NET assembly? That gives access to um, all of those things via uh, via JavaScript. Uh, basically, yeah. I mean, script interop now in WinPhone Seven is super simple compared to what we had to do beforehand uh, for uh, Windows Mobile six point five. Mm-hmm. So for Windows Mobile six point five, that's exactly what we had to do. Uh, for Windows Phone Seven, it's all exposed as uh, um, in managed library APIs. So uh, it's not that complex anymore. It's really just a um, translation layer for you yeah, guys. Yeah, that's, that's all it is, really. So right now we don't have much available for WinPhone. You know, like I said, the SDK is only in a technical preview stage, right, so right. we don't have much to look at. Um, but it kind of, it, honestly, it kind of reminds me, uh, in terms of the API itself, you know, not thinking about the language, it reminds me of the Android APIs. Um, nice and modularized, each little bit of functionality in its own namespace. Yeah. It's very comfortable. Like it's very easy to write, especially if you come from a .NET background. Yeah. You know, the other side of this that I think is potentially interesting is that if it's a web-based app, then can't you effectively distribute the app without using the App Store anymore? It is theoretically possible, but because you have to go through the Apple iPhone approval process, they can pull your app. So we recommend that uh, the typical iPhone phone gap app, we recommend that all the HTML and presentation is on the client and they don't try to just serve oh, a website. So it's not just a website you go to? No, no. It's, uh, typically all your UI images and things are, are on the client and then you'll just call to a server, uh, to get like either some JSON data or like a, a REST XML. API, right. but all the all the rendering and and graphics usually happen on on the actual client. They're packaged into the application. Well, that's quite different. I mean, that's actually looks and feels and smells like a real application. All this time, I was thinking that we're you you're just bringing people to a website and putting a link somehow on no, the phone. <laughs> it's quite a bit more than that. Yeah, Apple would have our head if that was the case. Yeah, and it also. Uh, it also makes sense that you're not sandboxed because, you know, in a in a browser in JavaScript, you, uh, you know, at least uh, in .NET anyway, you really can't do all that much. Yeah, yeah, and and that's one of the interesting things too is uh, because your your application is loaded from the file URL, you can you can access different domains, so you can you can make your own mashup of using like uh, Flickr and Twitter, huh. and 
and you can you can mix and match between different APIs. Yep, no more jumping through hoops for that stuff. So you don't have to do any sort of proxy mm-hmm. from your server or or those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Is deployment different for each platform? In yep. other words, uh, you have to go through the standard deployment things. There isn't anything in uh, in PhoneGap to to help in that regard. Uh, we're working on some tooling uh, to help you package your your apps. So we want it to be uh, to the point where you can you can write your code once, and then you have uh, some some custom CSS for each platform, and you just you know at this point from the command line you just say build, and it'll output you know all the different apps for each platform. Yeah, that's the idea. That um, would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. However, you know the actual deployment process, like you say, I mean that's pretty hard for a software framework to do you know there's a lot of administrative crap that you have to deal with to uh, get your app on each platform store approvals um you know fees you have to pay for blackberry to become a a vendor on their on their um app world you actually have to get uh, a notary to sign like uh uh, an affidavit about you know the existence of your company and etc so it's a little bit of a headache for sure wow yeah you can't really do that with WCF, can you? <laughs> <laughs> there are things you can do and things you cannot. Things you can't do, although Michelle LaRue Bustamante might be able well, to pull it off. <laughs> potentially, potentially you could if if you have some sort of build server and you know all, all apps are being submitted under uh, one identity. So you don't have to worry about all the, all the enterprise things. That's true. Somebody ought to put together a little association and go around to all these different uh, vendors and create a new automated method. It'd give them, you know, a little more, give them a little more business. Yep. Somebody yeah. ought to do that. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> the other angle to look at this is the monotouch approach, where we're programming in .NET and, and basically have to talk to different libraries and compile out to each of the platforms. Well, in this case, it's only iPhone and Android so far. Hmm. Any thoughts on that, guys? Have you looked at the monotouch product? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, uh, when when you're in C Sharp, I'm, at least I am very comfortable there. So it feels good to work with that. Uh but I mean, until until it's across more devices, I I see it sort of targeting a very specific type of developer, mm-hmm. right? So once it's on more devices, it'll be more appealing. But for now, it's it's sort of the road for for C sharp developers who want to build iPhone apps at this point in time. Totally, it's uh, like the phone gap for your .NET dev, basically. That's at least my outlook on it. Right. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting picture because now you're talking about a browser as sort of the development space and eliminating the whole HTTP part of the equation, more or less. Yeah. I mean, like like we touched upon with Jesse earlier, you still need to do some kind of data interchange generally to have a compelling app, right? Right. Um, I mean, you could definitely get rid of any sort of communication with an IFART type app. That can all be done locally on the device. Um, yes, but... We all need more of those. <laughs> all right, note to transcriptionists, yes, he did say I-F-A-R-T. 
<laughs> but it also basically answers the question around a disconnected option that you can you have your key resources on your phone, so mm. you should be able to do a certain number of things without having a 3G connection going. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's actually a requirement of Apple as well. If you have a, an app that's completely web-based, and when it starts up and there's uh, the phone is in airplane mode, if it just sits there and spins continuously, you'll never get accepted into the app store. So hmm. you, you have to be wary of you know whether or not that network is there at all right. times and always present something that's, that's usable. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your app doesn't have to be usable, but it <clears> has to at least, you know, show the user what's going on. There's also a, a draft spec uh, being put together by the W3C, of course, um, a widget API. And I think the phone gap approach is really similar and, and, and covers the same sort of concept as the concept of a widget. Uh, in that you have basically a set of web-based assets like your HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um, and they are to a certain extent sandboxed to themselves, but um, with like a kind of a manifest file, you can define particular domains that this app should have access to, among other things. Um, so you kind of get these little web-based app packages ready, um, and then it's just a matter of getting them deployed on the particularities of uh, each platform that you're interested in. Right. So what's um is is that list complete now of uh of the of the features in the roadmap page or are there more things that you want to add? I'm trying to think of more features that my iPhone has that are on that list. Any any kind of API that's available to us natively, conceivably we could extend and and make it available to PhoneCap. Um recently on our community we've heard uh, rumblings of people wanting like uh uh socket like uh, direct socket connections being oh, right. available. Um, other people have, have been crying out for Bluetooth support, um, right. being able to discover Bluetooth devices nearby or things like that. So Bluetooth, by the way, also on the roadmap, but not implemented yet. Yeah, not implemented yet. We're, we're trying to uh, blackmail our community to sort of do that for oh. us. <laughs> <laughs> Open source project, by the way. If anyone's yeah. bored and wants to contribute... Hint, hint. Wink, wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Yeah. Another another way that features get added is, you know, we when we have clients who come and ask us for a certain set of functionality, we'll we'll try to add that into PhoneGap if if the the contract will support it, if like it's okay with the client. So we we try to roll all our changes back into the community. So another thing that we've done is we've sort of uh, abstracted another layer, so we have the concept of plugins. So specifically on iPhone and Android, we're, we're approaching specific requests that we get from our customers. We're building them as plugins and we're going to release them back to the community. And then if it makes sense for it to be implemented on other platforms, then it would eventually become like a, a fully supported uh, piece of functionality across all of them. But with a yeah. sort of a plug-in architecture, if if somebody wants, you know, like a a, a navigator uh, tab bar control on their iPhone, we we've already got uh, an abstracted JavaScript version of that, which is actually you know being rendered natively. 
but it's it's callable from JavaScript, and you can customize the images that you're showing on the tabs and those sorts of things. Nice. And that that makes sense on iPhone because uh, the user expects to see it, mm-hmm. and it makes sense on Android. But there's some sort of confusion with the menu button, so it might the API might need to change a little bit to uh, accommodate that. It doesn't make as much sense on BlackBerry because the screen real estate is limited. Mm-hmm. So for now, it's a, an iPhone plugin, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll be adding a, a few more native features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those the the UI specific stuff. Um, we get a lot of requests for that, especially from our community. You know, how can I get a tab bar that looks like a native tab bar, or how can I get a menu button or a menu on Android that looks like the usual. Uh, Android menu. Um, for now, we've tried to sort of stay away from those questions um, and just deal with the device functionality, since that's something that we have a bit more control over. Um, but eventually, we'd like to tackle that issue as well and, and maybe perhaps provide uh, abstract APIs to all of our platforms that deal with this in a single, consistent, simple way. Yeah. Um, but at this point, you know, we're just we just don't know what to do with it, so we don't know what kind of solution we should employ. So it's all a work in progress. Excellent. And how often do you guys release new versions? We're we're inching towards uh, version 1.0. We wanna we wanna get the file I/O more consistent across the devices, mm-hmm. and and then we're actually going to call ourselves 1.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, as far as you know, check-ins. There's, it's all on GitHub. So there, there's all kinds of forks. The community is is checking stuff in. We get pull requests all the time. We we evaluate them. I mean, mailing list is very active. So people post code to the mailing list sometimes for specific things that they they've figured out how to do. And we we do try to roll those in as quickly as possible. Uh, so it is changing quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's moving pretty rapidly. You can always uh, keep tabs on the actual source code changes if you go to GitHub, G-I-T-H-U-B dot com slash phone gap, and then uh, all of all of the code is there. It's all MIT. It's all open. Um, for the GitHubers out there, just fork it and play with it. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much for sharing your uh, stories with us and. Phone gap sounds awesome. I think uh, if you're doing any development on on cell phones of any kind, this is worth looking at. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. All right, and we'll see you next time on Dynamics. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions. Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.
got to transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm 